Paul and Silas and Timothy had told the new believers in Thessalonica about that glorious day. And it had become central to the perspective of these Thessalonian believers. They knew that Jesus had come to rescue people from their rebellion and sin by his death and his resurrection, and that he was going to come again and restore all things. And the people in Thessalonica had believed. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, after only being able to be with them for a short time, Paul says, had been torn away from them. They had to leave. They were forced to, in this case, by by political issues, by uh, city leadership and city influences uh, that made it dangerous uh, to their even, even to their lives to stay there. And so they were torn away from the Thessalonians, from the Thessalonians rather. And in the months that had been fo- that followed after they had been torn away from them, they had really agonized over how are our brothers and sisters doing? How are they handling? the new hardships of their faith in Christ? Are they persevering? Or have they decided, you know what, this this isn't worth it. Maybe this isn't real. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were here for a little while. We were excited about what they had to say, but they're gone and this is not working. And so forget it. We're not going to do it. And eventually, uh, Paul and his co-workers decided we can't take this anymore. We have to find out. So they sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on how they were doing. And Timothy, as, as Prasanna preached a couple weeks ago, Timothy came back with a marvelously life-giving and encouraging report. The Thessalonians were persevering in their faith in Christ. They hadn't given up. They were persevering through the hardship that Paul had told them that they would face. They had found Christ to be worth it. They had found their hope in Christ and what he had promised to do for them to be worth the trouble and the struggle and the pain. And they remembered Paul and Silas and Timothy with affection. They didn't feel like they had been taken by some fraudulent message. They got it. And they didn't get everything, which is always the case with us, isn't it? There are always gaps. There are things that we don't get things that we don't know. And in this case, for the Thessalonians, they were wrestling with some confusion. They had some, some, we could say, theological gaps in their understanding, some gaps in their understanding of what God had even made known to his people. There were believers among them who, between the time that Paul came the first time and the time that Timothy had come to check on them, believers among them who had died. And the Thessalonians who remained did not know what to make about the death of their believing brothers and sisters. When when Paul had come and brought Jesus to them, one of the things that was central to his message is that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to restore all things for those who believe in him. And somehow, the Thessalonians had had missed a piece of what that meant. There were gaps in their understanding. They were grieving the death of their brothers and sisters. 
which is right to do. Altogether right, altogether appropriate. Paul's not going to rebuke them for grieving. What he is going to point out is that they were grieving in a way that they didn't have to grieve. They were at least at risk of grieving like those around them as those who have no hope. Evidently, they had missed something of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. So they were grieving or at risk of grieving in a way that didn't take into account everything that Jesus had done and promised to do for them. If your house burns down, it will be hard. It will be painful. There will probably be some kind of grief. If your house burns down and you are not aware that you have insurance that will cover the cost of rebuilding, it will be a lot harder than it needs to be. It'll be unnecessarily hard. It's, it's at that point that grief starts to turn into despair. And that's what's not necessary for the Thessalonians. That's what Paul is concerned is going to happen for them. So he wants to fill this gap. Somehow the Thessalonians had missed a part of what restoring all things actually meant. They had a picture in their mind of Jesus coming back. This has begun to define their future. This is what they're longing for. This is what's making all the trouble worth it, that Jesus is going to come back and restore all things. And yet there was a gap. And Paul fills that gap in this passage this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. So as we look at this passage, I think there are, there are two takeaways for us. One is the actual content with which Paul fills the gap. That when Jesus comes back, he will bring with him those who have died in him. That those who have died in him are going to rise from the dead, and those of us who remain and meet Jesus when he comes back will be beaten there, maybe by a few seconds, by those that we have lost who have trusted in Jesus. The Thessalonians didn't understand that. Sometimes perhaps we forget that functionally, but it's real. It's true. It's going to happen. We're going to see it with our eyes. That's what Paul wants the Thessalonians to know, certainly what he would want us to know as well. It changes the way that we process the loss of believers. That's one takeaway for us. The other takeaway for us is, is the fact that <clears throat> if we miss what God has told us, if there are gaps in our knowledge of what God has actually revealed, then it causes unnecessary pain. It causes unnecessary pain. And it causes an underrepresented gospel. So in the case of the Thessalonians, <clears throat> if somehow they've missed the fact that their brothers and sisters who have died are going to be raised again gloriously and they will meet them when they see Jesus, they're going to have unnecessary pain. They will grieve as those who have no hope. Paul says, I don't want that for you. It's not necessary. You don't need that kind of pain. It doesn't reflect reality. I don't want that for you. And if the Thessalonians grieve in that way, then even in their grief, they're not going to represent the gospel, the hope of Jesus and all that he's done 
in, in, in a full way. There's going to be a gap in the way they represent the gospel as well. So we want to know what God has revealed in this passage, and I hope that we will be re-encouraged, re-enlivened, to know as much as we can about what God has actually revealed in his word. That this morning would encourage us uh, to, to read our Bibles uh, faithfully and enthusiastically, knowing that when we miss what God has said, it causes unnecessary pain, and it causes an underrepresented gospel. That's what I think this passage is going to point us to this morning. Now, let me just affirm as we do that, as we, we want to know what God has said in his word, more and more and more. There's no arrival here, but there's always room for progress. That knowledge alone can't solve the problem, right? We, we know that. We, we know that because of our own experience. Most of us probably know what Paul is telling the Thessalonians here. We know that those who die in Jesus are going to be raised again. But there's gaps in our functional knowledge of that, right? How many times this week, in very small ways, maybe not in response to death, but maybe in response to a lost comfort or an inconvenience, did you and I, in little ways, grieve as those who have no hope? Grieve the loss of a convenience. Grieve somebody's um, uh, inconsiderateness in traffic. Uh, something like that, in a way that doesn't represent our actual future. Those things happen. So even as we know this, sometimes they're not active in our lives. So knowledge alone doesn't solve the problem but a lack of knowledge can cause it. <clears throat> so the thing that Paul wants the Thessalonians to know in this passage is that Jesus will raise those who have died with him and gather us to join him with them. So before I go any further, I want to read what Paul writes to his friends in Thessalonica. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. It may help us to put ourselves in the situation of these Thessalonian believers. We, we all have gaps in our understanding. None of us is done realizing everything that's been written in God's word, and it's all there for our good. And and it can be a little bit hard for us, perhaps, to 
understand how it's even possible that the Thessalonians don't know what Paul wants to make sure they know here. Because if, if, you've, if you've been a Christian for a little while, then the idea that those who die in Jesus will be raised again, I hope, has been communicated to you. If you're a Christian and you hear it today for the first time, you may actually end up a step ahead of the rest of us. Because you'll come away thinking, this changes everything. This changes my whole outlook on the future. This changes my whole attitude toward believers that I know who have died. And, and it's exciting to you. And maybe, excite, maybe more exciting to you than to those of us who have known this for a while and have kind of gotten used to it, even though we never should. So it's helpful for us perhaps to put ourselves in the place of the Thessalonians and to have some sympathy for why they might not have known this. When you're uninformed about something that really matters to you, you guess, my brother died. I'm looking for Jesus to come back and restore all things. He's coming back bodily to this earth. They're not here anymore. Are they going to miss out? Well, uh, so, so you guess. And the way that we often guess is based on what we already know. We fill the gaps with what our culture tells us. We fill the gaps with what's normal. And for the Thessalonians, uh, many of whom were Gentiles who had come out of a pagan Gentile background, it would have been easy to fill the gaps with a very gray, hopeless sense of what physical death means. Gary Shogren uh, writes a commentary on uh, the Thessalonian letters, and he writes this. He says, Paul was writing to Greeks who, uh, at least according to their, their non-Christian culture, had no hope apart from Christ. That is, these were people who held to the majority opinion within their culture that the soul would travel to a gloomy underworld. Even if they might encounter their dead friends in the life beyond, it would be in a realm of shadows known for its drab hopelessness. Tombstones have been recovered from all over the empire and they reveal something of the popular mindset. An inscription from Thessalonica itself shows the misery of death. There's a widower who built a tomb and there's an inscription on the tombstone that later he would have a place to rest together with his dear wife when he looks upon the end of life that has been spun out for him by the indissoluble threads of the fates. It's over. Death is the end of the story, and there's no going back. That's the general assumption in the culture. And Paul says, I don't want you to have that gray gap that fills the answer to your question, what happens for my brother? What fills that gap is full of light and color. So he says, I want to fill you in. I want to tell you what fits in that gap. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. Why? That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That's the problem. Verse 13, the problem of hopeless grief. And the solution is a word from the Lord. Verses 14 through 17, something that neither Paul nor the Thessalonians would have known based on their experience. The only way they could know it was by God telling them, here's what's going to happen. And he does. 
and it changes everything. You need to know, this is verses 14 through 17, the solution, a word from the Lord. You need to know that God will bring them back. Your joy when you see Jesus will not be dampened by the realization that your brother missed out because he died too early. Your joy will be heightened by the fact that your brother will be there. Not just resuscitated, not just the way he was when you knew him, but glorious, fully restored, and you will be there with him. You will be there with her. How do we know that? How do we know? Because this is not something that that this is not something that we can be sustained by with a wish, is it? Even though sometimes we try. We don't know that simply because we choose to. Sometimes we fill the gaps in our understanding with what we already know, with a guess. Sometimes we fill the gaps in our understanding with a wish. Uh, sometimes that's not allowed. If you tell your boss, uh, yeah, my customer called and they canceled the contract, uh, but they canceled it because they want to write another contract that's twice as big. Your boss might say, well, that's great. That, that's excellent. Do you have that in writing yet? And if you tell your boss, well, no, I don't have it in writing, and they haven't actually told me that, but it just makes me feel better to think that, your boss is going to look at you funny and maybe call you into his office. Right? We're not allowed to wish in those cases. There are other situations in which we, uh, in which we as a culture, provide um, more openness to a wish because it makes people feel better. Often, if we're honest, we see that at funerals. We, we hear all kinds of things uh, that are understandable in one sense because here are people who are grieving, trying to grab onto something that steadies them in the face of death. And so we hear all kinds of things. Uh, we, we hear about how Uncle Ned died because God needed another angel in heaven. Things like that. And, and it's against the cultural rules and maybe against the wisdom of sensitivity to say, how do you know that? How do you know that? It, in, in many cases, death is such a sensitive thing and, and people are grabbing for something and so sometimes all people know to grab for is a wish, even if it's not written in writing. It's the best thing they can come up with. It's not the best thing we can come up with. We have something better. God has put it in writing for us, and it's here. <clears throat> so Paul says, here's what to expect, especially for the brothers and sisters that, you've concerned, that you're concerned about. And he does this in verses 14 through 17. In verse 14, he, he gets right to the point. And he summarizes the hope that the Thessalonians have as it's particularly relevant to their concern. They know they're going to see Jesus. They know he's going to restore all things, but they need to know how that relates to the brothers and sisters that they've lost. So he does that in verse 14. And then in verses 15 through 17, he provides details. He provides a word from the Lord about what you believers are actually going to experience when Jesus comes back. First, there's the summary in verse 14. 
he gets right to their particular concern. It's different, he says, from what you fear. And the thing that fills the gap in your understanding, you have a a gray gap about your brother who's gone. And the thing that fills the gap is actually based on something that you already know. For since, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's that's what everything he's going to say is going to be based on. It's why everything he's going to say is possible. It's because Jesus died and rose again, which changes everything. Those who trust in Jesus have been joined to Jesus. It's similar to in a marriage where when you marry someone, as long as there aren't all kinds of prenuptial agreements, what's what's theirs becomes yours and what's yours becomes theirs. And that's what what, what happens when we are joined to Jesus by faith. The things that belong to him now belong to us. And what belongs to him? Indestructible life. Forever. We we get that in some measure now. So Paul, when he writes to the Romans, uh, says that because you are joined to Jesus, joined to his death, and joined to his life, you now have newness of life today. Uh, You get to live in a way that is no longer, even though you're still in the process of overcoming sin, you don't have to live in a way that's dominated by sin. Therefore, because you're joined to Jesus, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Because you're in Him, what belongs to Him belongs to you. Newness of life. And so it was totally appropriate when Paul came to Thessalonica and called them to Jesus, he also called them to a new life. We see that reflected in this letter. He had told them some of the things that were theirs because they belonged to Jesus. And and this is either something that he he hadn't gotten to or that they had missed because they were distracted that they needed to know about. What does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for those who had trusted him and then had died? So Paul says, let me tell you, here's what it means. God will bring with Jesus those who have died believing in him. His indestructible life belongs to them, so when you see him, you'll see them. And then he colors the picture. He gives them details. This is such a helpful thing for them and for us to meditate on. When you think about meditating on Scripture, Here's a picture of something that we've never seen, never experienced, that we will see and experience. And so, you might consider specifically memorizing 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17, because it tells you what's going to happen to you. Not everything that's going to happen to you, but what you and I really need to know. So Paul gives them the details in verses 15 through 17. And again, he does this not based on a wish, not not merely based on uh, an inference. He's not simply saying, well, uh, 
because Jesus died and rose from the dead, that's, that's the reason that we know this is going to happen. Those fit together. It makes all kinds of sense, but we have something even more than what makes sense. We have a word from the Lord. We don't have to guess, even in an educated way. This is the way it's going to be. It's in writing. Verse 16, We who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. When you get there and you see Jesus, there will be somebody there already. Somebody will have beaten you there. The brother that you have seen gone, you've seen his body, maybe your sister, you've seen her lying there, and there is something about death that is, that's perhaps harder than anything else to deal with in life. The fact that there is no going back. There's no reversing it. And we really can't ultimately make sense of that in our minds, at least not enough sense to really keep us from grieving, to keep us from despair. And Paul says that is not the end of the story. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. When Jesus came the first time, he didn't come simply with sage advice to be considered and pondered and put into practice if we feel like it's useful for us. He came to be heard and obeyed. He came to give commands. And his central command is live. Come to me and believe in me and live. And when he comes again, he will send out a command that probably will sound uh, like an echo of his command to Lazarus. Live. Rise from the dead. And nobody will ask questions. In response to his command, people will obey. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Which, of course, is impossible. We've seen death happen for centuries. And we've always been unable to completely make sense of the fact that when it comes to death, there is no going back. And it's beyond us. There is no going back, but there is going forward. And that's what Jesus did. It's a better story than any story we ever make up about death. There are movies about superheroes in which the only way for death to be reversed is to go back. Some way of rolling back time. And that's the way of undoing death. Jesus does it a better way. Jesus doesn't do it by going back. He does it by going forward. He goes all the way into death. And rather than time being rolled back, Jesus defeats death and goes forward so that when he is raised again, he is raised in a body that is no longer subject to death. He's raised to indestructible life that we share with him. <clears throat> so when you see your brother, when you see your sister, that is how you are going to see him or her. They will beat us there, but not by much. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, 
to meet the Lord in the air. That, that word in verse 17, the word that's translated caught up, is the word that's when, when, when the translation, so this is written in Greek to begin with. When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he's writing in Greek. Later on, uh, the Bible was translated into Latin. And when it was translated into Latin, the word that was used for caught up is a word that sounds a lot like our word rapture. So that's a word that has uh, all kinds of associations with it, right? All kinds of even movies and book series and all those kinds of things. And, and we'll sometimes even ask, well, do you believe in the rapture? Do you not believe in the rapture? And sometimes when we ask that, we're talking about a particular understanding of the rapture. But do you believe in the rapture? I hope so. It's been put in writing. It's right here. We will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, if your understanding of the timing of how that works, if your understanding of that and, and where this fits in the sequence of events is different from mine, and you're right, I'll high-five you on the way up. I'll be glad to. I'll be glad to say you were right, I was wrong. I'm just glad it happened. And it will. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. At that point, all of the dismissive opinions about Jesus will be dissolved. All of your faithfulness to him will be vindicated. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. If you are in him, you're joined to his death and to his indestructible life. This is your future. And it's more than a state of being. It, the hope that we have is, is not merely a matter of uh, where we will be or how nice things we, we will be, although those are true and those are part of the gift that we receive, but it's not ultimately a state of being. It's a state of relationship. How does Paul summarize all this? We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. The Lord that we told you about, Paul says. The, the Lord that you believed in when you heard about Him. Who has become the center of your existence. The Lord that you love and rely on and repent to. The Lord that you strive to please. The Lord that you come to for mercy and grace to help in time of need and find it. And the Lord that you have never seen. You've never seen Him, and you will. You will see Him, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, debate with one another about the timing and relationship of the details I haven't mentioned here. There is a problem Paul's mentioned that, the problem of hopeless grief. There is a solution, and that is a word from the Lord, things we wouldn't know if God hadn't told us, here's what's going to happen. And there is a response. And the Thessalonians' impulse as they heard this would not have been to say, well, I wonder if my view of the end times is better than your view of the end times. And look, it is, because look what Paul just told us, I knew this already and you didn't. That was not their impulse at all. In some ways, what Paul, the way that Paul tells them to respond almost doesn't need to be said. Because when they heard this, 
they would have jumped at the chance to do exactly what he tells them to do in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When your sister is sad because your brother is gone, because contact is completely cut off, because she is hit with the inescapable realization that there's no going back, be there for her. Tell her that you're sorry. Embody Christ and His compassion for her. It does hurt. Uh, There is no attempt to paper over the grief of death here. Agree that it is sad, that it's not normal, that there's no way to simply resign yourself to it, and that this is not what we were made for. Be there for her. And as you come alongside her, and as you affirm her grief, be sure to affirm to her that what we see is not everything that is. What we see is not the tiniest sliver of what will be. This is not the end. Jesus will get the last word. With his command, he will issue a command and your brother will be raised and you will see him. And together, we will always be with the Lord. Sometimes there is a tendency to have a fear of of saying something in the face of death that will be short-sighted, that won't really be helpful. Gosh, isn't it one of the hardest things in the world to figure out what to say to someone when they're facing death? And I'm sorry is a really, really good place to start. We have more to say as well. We have something better to say than a wish, something better than a guess, something better than I know how you feel because my cat died. We have something better, and it needs to be said. It needs to be said in timely ways. It needs to be said in ways that are genuinely encouraging. And your grieving brother, your grieving sister needs to hear it. We need to know. I need to know. We need to be steadied by hearing the thing that we don't see. This is why we need to say this to each other, especially when we see death right in front of ourselves, is because we we don't see it. Hope that is seen is not hope. That's the way hope works, biblical hope. And so it helps to hear it said. God has broken into our present experience with some promises. He's told us some things about what will happen that we would not know if he hadn't told us. They're real and we will see them. He has revealed hope for us who are in Christ and for those who have died in Christ. There's a lot left that's unrevealed. Moses actually spoke to that even years before Paul wrote. He said this in Deuteronomy 29.29, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That's speaking in Old Testament, Old Covenant, terms. But the idea is there are some things that we might love to know 
and that God has chosen not to tell us. They belong to him. It might be nice to know them, but we don't have to know them. And God, in his grace, has told us what we must know. And when we hear what he has told us, it changes us. As we see with the Thessalonians, it it removes unnecessary pain. The, The grief of death without what God has told us here can translate into despair. And it doesn't have to happen. Every time we miss something that God has chosen to reveal to us, it risks causing us unnecessary pain. It takes away some of the good news. It takes away some of the outworking of the good news. So come here. Come here over and over. Come here daily. Come here expectant. Come here looking carefully. I want to encourage you to find some way to be in the Word of God every day. Not as a way of checking off a box so that you can make sure and have a good day because you've obeyed God's rules about reading the Bible. Come here expecting to hear good news because of what Jesus has done for you. And and expecting to hear what it means for you and for others that Jesus has died and raised again. What it means for your future. You may or may not be into end times stuff, but all of us are into what's going to happen to me. All of us are into that. All of us are into our future and the things we must know about our future, the things we absolutely need to know that will steady us, that will give us biblical hope, real confidence, are in writing. They're here for us. So seek out the things that are revealed. That's what changes us. That's what changes our perspectives and our priorities. It changes despair into hope. It changes us, and as it changes us, it brings about a more fully represented gospel. When you and I experience the little griefs of life, the little griefs of a loss of comfort, and we respond to that loss of comfort in light of the future that God has put in writing for us. What does it do? It does what Paul describes in Philippians. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Whether it's to find something that you've never found in writing before, or whether it's to find something that you've just functionally lost track of, come to this word daily to find good news from Christ about what he's done and about what he promises to do for you. Including this, we will always be with the Lord. Father, you've been gracious to tell us what we would not know, and what we need to know. What spares us from unnecessary pain 
and what changes us to more fully represent the gospel. So we pray that you do us in that. We, we pray that you do that in us, that you would put your word before us daily, that you'd open our eyes to Christ in it through your spirit and make us shine like lights in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.